Boston's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30, Chad. All right, the Flames have jumped out to a 2-0 lead on the Predators. The Oilers news today, so Darnell Nurse probably going to get in some trouble here for the Roman Polak incident last night. Nurse has a hearing tomorrow with the Department of Player Safety. I would expect a one-game suspension. I don't know if they need to go uh, any more than that. Jordan Osterley up from the farm. Had some good discussion earlier about the Patrick Maroon comment. If you want to read more on that, uh, I wrote a blog about the... Uh, quote-unquote scrappy Oilers, which you knew I was not labeling them quite yet. Maroon, some interesting comments today about how they reacted to that early goal against. You can read that on the uh, uh, Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. Reed Wilkins with you. Thanks for tuning in. Special guest in studio, Karen Lasuk. Karen, welcome to the show. How's it going? Very good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for dropping in, and congratulations. You have, you have made the Olympic Games. I have. Uh, if you don't know Karen, she is a uh, long-time and very successful basketball official. I, I have seen you work numerous uh, CIS games when I was doing Golden Bears and Pandas play-by-play. We never got to meet, obviously, because I was sitting there with a headset and you were working very hard. Uh, tell us a little bit about being selected for, for the Olympics. What's this whole process like? Um, the process is actually not really anything that's known or written you just kind of do your thing at the FIBA level the international level and you hope that the right people see you you hope you are um, nominated for the the right tournaments so that you you know you show your stuff you get an opportunity to show your stuff and um, after that it's it's like a mystery you wait and you you hope and uh, I would imagine, this is in my brain, I imagine there's a committee that sits together and they go, okay, here's XYZ from these countries, here's where they've been, here's how they've done, let's select them. That's what I would imagine. But really, if there's an actual process, I've never heard of it, nor has anybody else I've spoken to. <laughs> so some FIBA mystery, which, yeah. which, is, which is fine. Um, well, again, congratulations. What was your reaction when you found out? I uh, I cried. <laughs> I'll yeah. be honest. Well, first I, I said, oh, my God, holy beep. And uh, I started crying because, to me, it was it's a dream come true. And I just couldn't hold it together. And I happened to be in my classroom with my students. And they were freaking out because they saw me start crying. Um, and they're like, oh, my God, what's wrong? Is everything okay? And, and I could hardly speak. And I told them I just was, I've just been selected for the Olympics. And they lost their minds. It was awesome. They were cheering and clapping, and my girls were, can I hug you, and crying with me, and it was incredible. And, and because there was such a ruckus in the school, other teachers started coming to my room, and what's what's going on? And my kids are like, Miss L's going to the Olympics. That's what they call me. Uh -huh. And then my principal comes down, and, everybody, and she puts a big announcement on, and it's, the whole school went wild. It was just the most amazing feeling. Tell people where you teach. Blueberry Community School. Uh, so what grade were you with when this happened? Grade 9. Oh, so they're definitely old enough yeah. to, to grasp the magnitude of the yeah. uh, the Olympic Games. Well, that 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 is that is an awesome awesome story. Um, let's let's go back though, because I want to take people through your your career. Because getting to this level of officiating, just like getting this level of athletics, doesn't happen overnight. Why basketball officiating? Whenever this journey started, what twenty years ago? Yeah, um, I was a player. And I played uh, in college, and while I was in college, actually, I was asked to referee a couple junior high games to make some pocket dough across the, the road from our college, and I did that, and I kind of had a natural knack. I had no idea where to stand or whatever, but it's kind of doing my thing. And um, finished playing there, came here, finished my degree at U of A, and um, started playing ladies' league. I didn't have enough uh, time left to play 
pandas. So I played ladies league, and I actually I'm I'm a feisty player. I have a little bit of personality. Imagine that. And I started to become a little disgruntled with the play calling uh, from the referees. Kind of started to get on a few of them. And one of the veterans took me aside after one of the games and said, you know, you, you kind of know what you're talking about sometime. Maybe you need to come to this clinic and put your money where your mouth is. And I'm like, well, you know what? Why not? I can't do any worse than you guys are doing out here tonight. Giving them a hard time. They're like, that's it. You're coming. And it kind of took off from there. So you had a you had a natural affinity for it though right away like okay so but but how come what makes a good affinity I mean okay sure know the rules I mean mm -hmm. I I know most of the rules of basketball mm -hmm. I, I would think but I I wouldn't want to ref what do you have to have to be a good good referee um, first you have to have a feel for the game you have to understand what what's happening out on the floor um, I think the biggest thing however is you have to be able to communicate and manage people and that is the hardest thing to master to move up the ranks because once you get to let's say college level then finally make the university level everybody there can call balls and strikes some are a little better than others but we generally can all call the balls and strikes it's the people that can manage the game the people's emotions the players emotions and keep the game fair for the entire duration are the ones that are going to be successful. So what's the best way to diffuse a situation, whether it's a coach who's mad at you, whether it's two players who are maybe starting to push and shove? Mm -hmm. is, 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 there a, is there a standard for that? What's the best way to diffuse something that you're th starting to think like, okay, there's intensity and then now this is something that might be getting out of control? Um, if I see something that looks like it's going to happen so let's say a couple players get locked up in a rebound situation and they're pulling and tugging you can see them jawing a little bit at each other if I recognize that situation which I, I should if I'm you know doing my job as we're going up the floor I will say to both of them as we're going up the floor knock knock it off I'll put them on notice right there so they know that I've seen it and they know they need to behave. Now, if it escalates before I get that opportunity to get to them, uh, for example, um, you know, someone doesn't like something and they start pushing one another, mm -hmm. I immediately get in there. I don't care how big they are, uh, whatever, I get in there, I grab one, pull them away, and the one I pull away, I just start talking to them. And I'll say something along the lines of, hey, keep your head on, we want to keep you in this game, you got to knock this stuff off. I'll just have a conversation with them. Okay, so nowhere in that answer did you mention calling a foul, technical flagrant, nope. anything like that? Nope. I try to manage first and then penalize after. Interesting. Okay, Karen Lasuk joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. She is going to be officiating basketball at the uh, Olympics this summer. So when did you start to transition to where you're like, okay, I'm actually, I'm not just doing the junior high games or the ladies league games. You're doing important high school games, ACAC, CIS. When did that sort of ramp up for you? Um, I think I, in my about my third year as an official, I started doing the really good senior high school games. And um, in my fourth year, I was given an opportunity to become a college referee. So I became an ACAC ref and ref the women's program for a year or two and then um, jumped from there to men. And um, within six years, I was doing the men. And that was the year I actually believe, yeah, that was the year I was actually identified as a potential FIBA candidate. I was not refing university yet. Okay. okay. So FIBA is the international license. Right. Um, identified as that and actually uh, identified and asked to attend a possible certification clinic. And that was my, that experience was my first time refereeing a university level basketball game. Was on the court in front of the head guy from Belgium. <laughs> as a tryout to see if I could get an international license. So 
no, he, look, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question. You knew it was coming because you've been asked before. But when you're a female refing a men's game, ACAC, CIS, mm-hmm. it, first of all, is that very unusual? And was was that was that difficult? I mean, is there a certain perception that maybe the male coaches and players are like, no, we need all male refs. What is she doing out here? Did you face any of that? Uh, yeah. Um Prior to becoming an ACAC men's official, we did have one other female in front of me, and she ended up packing it in for whatever reason. And um, I remember thinking, hmm, how is this going to play out? Because I know I know that I can call the game. I know it's a little bit of a different game because guys play what I consider vertically, whereas women play horizontally mm-hmm. below the rim. Um, I I knew that I would walk in there and be judged immediately. But I knew the most important thing was my first call of the game had to be nails. So they would go, boom, it's just a referee. She knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And then after that, just standing my ground with players, coaches, and showing them, hey, I mean business, and you're not going to push me around. And I have to be honest, I had very little pushback. Any men's games. Well, I mean, I, and I know when I watched you officiate, you were always, besides being accurate, most of the time, I could probably go back and quibble since I'm in the media. <laughs> but, but, but no, besides, besides being bang on with the large majority of your calls, you always struck me as very confident and very uh, sure of your of your call. So I guess it's important to project that. Mm-hmm. Maybe even, you know, I mean, you're human. There must have been times in the back of your mind where it's like, oh, did I see that? But you yeah. you got to... You got to make sure that there's you're not portraying any of that doubt. Right, exactly. It's it is about being um, confident and having presence because I'm not a very big woman, as you, as you can tell, um, and I'm out there with a lot of really big players. So I have to ref big, and thank goodness I have a personality because that has allowed me to do that. And the confidence that you speak of is the key, is because I am going to blow calls, or I'm going to call something that's marginal, a 50-50 block charge. I'm making a decision, and I got to stick with that decision. I got to show everybody, hey, they thought it was one way. I saw it another. Oh, maybe she did get it right. Right. Yeah. So that's that is one of the keys. That block charge call. Yep. And I, I just hate that. <laughs> Can you stick around to the bottom of the hour? Absolutely. Karen Lasuk in studio from Blueberry School, and uh, soon of the Summer Olympics in Rio, and now on Inside Sports. You're listening to 6:30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, having fun tonight. Karen Lasuk in studio. She is. Uh, well, so you work in Stony Plain, but you're an Edmontonian. Yes, I am. And you are a, a longtime basketball official. You will be refereeing the uh, Summer Olympics in uh, Rio de Janeiro this summer. So again, congratulations on that. We talked a little bit about your, your road there and, and how you got into it. Um, now, the cool thing about you is uh, you're refing most of the time now in the NCAA, correct? Yes, that is correct. Now, how do you get noticed from little old Edmonton to go ref in the mighty NCAA? Uh, well, <laughs> exactly. Um, I started going down to camps uh, in the U.S. in 1998 was my first one, just because I wanted a, a fresh set of eyes looking at me and give me something a little different, something new that I could put in my pocket, my tool belt, take home, teach other people. And... Um, so I went down to a couple camps, and one of the, the camp administrators says, you know, you're a pretty good ref. I, I like the way you work. Where do you live? And I'm like, Canada. And she's like, oh. I'm like, well, okay, that's good. Well, that's that's <laughs> over and done with. And um, I 
the thought, well, you know what, though? I'm learning so much, and I kept going back. So I went back in 99, went back in 2000. And then uh, in about 2001, again, another couple, um, camp administrators said, hey, where do you live? I'm like, I live in Canada. Oh, well, do you know anything about how, how can you work down here? Like, they, they literally know nothing right. about how to make anything legal or if we can just, they think I get in my car and I drive, for real. Right. They have no concept. Um, but I said, you know, uh, if you're serious, I can, I can look into trying to make it work. And they're like, yeah, check it out. Let us know. And it kind of took off from there. Okay, so what conference do you work in the NCAA, or is it all over? I'm in the Pac-12, the West Coast Conference, and the Big Sky. Okay, so mo- that's all in the West, right? West, that's the West, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to just some of the, um, you know, dealing with conflict type thing, because mm-hmm. the interesting thing about basketball, and I mean, like, every sport has conflict with referees and stuff like that, but in basketball it's so interesting because the coach is right on the court. And the referee can be four feet. I mean, sometimes a coach will walk on the court when the ball's on the other side in play mm-hmm. and either yell at or gently try to influence the, 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 the referee. I mean, you must have dozens, hundreds of stories about attempted intimidation or oh, yes. complaints or anything stand out. Yeah. Um, I, my, when I first started refereeing in the NCAA, my, I call him my nemesis coach, was from Gonzaga. And he was probably the most difficult coach I ever came across in my entire life. I did not know how to speak to him. Six foot seven, would yell at us, um, just ask you a question, yelling in your face. And I did not know how to deal with this, how to respond to this. And he would also stand over you and look down at you and intimidate you. And I finally lost my mind one game after about my fourth year in, and he was yelling at me going down the court, and I turned, stopped, mid-stride, looked him right in the eye, well, as best I could, looking up at a six-foot-seven man, and yelled right back in his face at him, and basically told him to leave me alone, go yell at someone else, and he just looked at me with a stunned look in his face, left me alone the rest of the game, and has been golden with me ever since. It was like, all of a sudden, I earned instant respect by yelling in his face. All right, and have you seen him since? I have. Uh, recently, February 14th, in fact, I uh, had not seen him all year, and I had uh, a game on the wonderful Valentine's Day, and I, I'm making my rounds. I go down to see the visiting coach. I go to him, and out of my mouth, I don't know where it came from, but I just go, Kelly, my Valentine! And he burst out laughing. His coaching staff, there's six of them, they are bent <laughs> over laughing, and he's like, oh my God, Karen, that is by far the best line anybody's ever used on me. And I said, hey, you know you're my Valentine. That means you have to be nice to me today. And he just said, you got it. And his staff, just they were killing themselves. And he was just golden the whole game. And you know, the humor aspect, after yelling in his face and then being humor, humorous with him, I mean, we have a mutual respect for each other now. So what does it take for you to actually give a coach a, a technical foul or perhaps toss them from the game? Right. Um, a technical foul for me would be a blatant cuss word directed at an official, either my partners or myself, um, or uh, disparaging remarks directed at us, you know, continuously going on and on. I will always say, hey, we can't have that today or whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll get a warning, always. If they they don't stop it, then I have to do something about it, usually a technical foul. To be kicked out of a game, you basically have to lose your mind. You have to punt a chair like a Bobby Knight, kick a water cooler over... um, 
run with your hair on fire down the sideline, something like that, to be basically tossed out of the gym. Okay. So yeah. now is it does, does a coach have to get two technicals to be tossed, or could you toss him or her initially? Um, if if they lose their mind and they pick up a chair and throw it, gone. Without without hesitation, gone. They they don't even have to throw it on the floor. Right. Pick up a water bottle, <laughs> chuck it, anything like that. They are gone immediately. Okay, but 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 if if that ever happens, that as you've sort of indicated, that is hopefully a last resort. That you would toss a coach. I mean, unless something extreme has happened, you don't want to just uh, toss a coach or tee them up right away just for maybe being angry or frustrated. Absolutely not. I mean, um, like any sport, basketball is very, very emotional, especially when we get to playoff time. And um, we always have to allow for players' emotions and coaches' emotions and understand that unless they are directed at us, again, in a derogatory manner, we have to allow for some venting, especially when we make an error. When I make an error in judgment on the floor, I deserve to hear about it, and I'm going to let them have some vent time with me. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to stand there and take it, and then I'm going to go, okay, are we done? And the coach will hopefully go, yeah, and we move on. Okay. Yeah. I Usually when there is a story about officiating in any sport, and this is unfortunate, when you, whether it's somebody I talk to on this show or a TV or newspaper story, it is often blank, fill in the sport, struggling to find officials. You know, uh, teenagers no longer interested in officiating yeah. because of the the pay the hours the yeah. abuse they may take from parents and fans yeah. and and players and all that kind of stuff what would you say to a young person who maybe right now wants to be a referee in their game of choice and they're struggling with whether or not to stay with it why would you tell them to stay with it well i would tell them to stay with it because the sky's the limit depending on where they want to go if they want to make it like i did when i started a little bit of pocket change you know, a little bit of exercise, um, or make a career out of it. I mean, I, I could choose to leave teaching and actually become a referee as a, for a living. Uh, you know, there are so many opportunities with it. Um, not only the monetary value of it, but it has helped make me a better person. It helps with your character. It helps you deal with people in, in any type of situation. And, and I take that into a classroom. I take that out on the street, if I ever encounter a police officer f for whatever reason it happens to be, um, just the skills that I've learned and the character that I've developed from being an official has helped me just in my life, period. That's awesome. Yeah. We're, we're running out of time. When's your next game? When do you work next? I work this Friday at the Canada West Women's Final Four in Saskatoon. Yeah, on the, uh, I hope it's not at Rutherford Rink because that place is falling apart. It's in an actual gym, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I had Sir Cezois the other day, and they were talking about rust falling off oh during, during their uh, playoff game. All right, so the Olympic, what, they start in August, right? Yeah. Is it August 5th? So uh, when, are you, when are you going to go down there? I actually leave on uh, July 27th. Okay. And we have a five-day training camp in advance of everything, plus fitness testing, plus et cetera, et cetera. Classroom, they prepare us to so that we are all in the same ship, you know, rowing down the same stream as best they can because we're all coming from different countries. Will they not give you Canada because you're Canadian? Correct. Okay. You, correct. You don't ever ref your own country. Okay. Karen, thanks for coming in. I wish we had more time. Maybe we can catch up again closer to the Olympics, or when you get back, it'd be great to follow up on this story. That would be wonderful. Thanks. Thanks a lot. That is Karen Lasuk. Awesome to have her in studio, and all the best in Rio. We got more in-studio guests from the undefeated Nate hockey team coming up next on Inside Sports. <laughs> Inside Sports. 
This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Yeah. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. It is 8.35, updating the NHL. Calgary leading Nashville 2-0 after one. Goudreau, both goals. He's up to 26 on the season. The Maple Leafs shocking the Islanders 4-3 in a shootout. The Avalanche lead the Ducks 1-0 there in the first period. Late in the third, St. Louis trying to close out Chicago, they're up 2-1. Third period goals from Backus and Brower taking the Blues from a 1-0 deficit to a, a one-goal lead. Coyotes and Canucks scoreless in the first. Capitals and Kings later on. The uh, Oilers today departing for Minnesota. Jordan Osterley has been called up from the farm. Darnell Nurse will have a hearing tomorrow morning. Well, we're going to keep rolling with the special in-studio guests. And, man, these guys are having a special season. Mike Gabinette is the head coach of the Nate Ooks hockey team. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Reed. Thanks for having me on. And I'm told that Kevin Carthy is the star player on the team. Hello, Kevin. <laughs> I wouldn't sick go that far, but, uh, yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot for coming in, guys. All right. Well, the, the reason you uh, drew my attention is a uh, little one-loss record from this season. 32-0. <laughs> Through the regular season, my goodness, uh, Mike. I'll start with you as the coach. Most coaches are relatively realistic about expectations for a season, whether it's going to be a peak, a rebuild, a down year. Especially at the you know post-secondary level, you can yeah, have yeah, pretty sure. dramatic changes year to year. Did you know this was probably going to be a very good team? I think going into the going into the season, we were we thought we had a good bunch, uh, good group of guys lined up, and then we started uh, exhibition season with. Uh, Winning the Brick Invitational Tournament, so beating U of A, beating UBC, and beating Mount Royal, so three good CIS teams. So uh, right there, you kind of knew this is a special group, and combine that with a really good work ethic and a good culture, and we thought maybe they could do something special this year. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, coming in, I think we knew we had a strong team, but I didn't think we know exactly what we had on our hands. Um, I think getting that experience against those uh, CIS teams was a great uh gauge of what we had uh, moving forward I think that's what kind of sparked everything for sure for us and knew we had something special from there. I mean, what was it like playing the CIS schools and, and I mean look the CIS I mean people would look at it and say well CIS is better than ACAC how could an ACAC team possibly sweep three games <laughs> from yeah. CIS I mean what was that weekend like Kevin? Uh, it was a pretty special weekend uh, I sat out that weekend uh, I think I was injured but um Watching the guys play for me is pretty uh, eye-opening in a sense that we are keeping up with them. Uh, usually in the past years we've had exhibition games and you're kind of you thinking you're going in there just to survive, right? So it's pretty special to watch and see our guys uh, hold in there and actually win, take a few games from those guys. So it's pretty crazy. Now, Mike, you were Serge Lechois' assistant last year, right? Yep. No, he's coaching the Bears. So yep. is there... Was there any, you know? <laughs> uh, we're good. We're good friends. We're we're uh, really good friends. So, uh, you know, we we both want uh, each other to do well. But it's a special, like Kevin said, it's nice. It just goes to show where the programs come in the last uh, uh, last few years here, where you know you go to just kind of survive in those CI games, where we go into those games knowing we can win those games now. So it just uh, guys like Kevin that have uh, built that culture here at Nate, and and guys that are coming in to continue that tradition on. So it's uh, it's a special time for the program for sure. Now you got to buy into the semifinals. You have Red Deer this this weekend. So so thanks thanks for coming in because obviously some teams and players can be superstitious. But you did finish the regular season thirty two and zero. Kevin, I'll start with you. I, I mean, look, it's 
it doesn't matter where that one loss could have happened. Yeah. It only takes one loss to mess up the perfect record. Did guys start thinking about it? Was there a point in the season where you thought, like, man, I think we might be at that level where we could run the table? What was it like? Uh, personally, for me, uh, I can't speak for everyone, but uh, it was kind of surreal in a sense. Uh, you kind of went through the season just playing games and just going out there and just doing your best kind of thing, and then it kind of just started to grow that, okay, we, we're unbeaten. Uh, I think it's the, the tail end of the season there that everyone started going kind of crazy about it uh, from the outside perspective. But I think as a team, uh, we're pretty level-headed um, when it comes to it. It's just business at the end of the day. Um, we just want to go out there and win at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, I think for us, winning a championship is the biggest thing. So 32-0, uh, I think I've said it before, um, it's a great thing. It's special. It's something to, I mean, put on your cap. But at the end of the day, winning a championship is the biggest goal for us. Second uh, undefeated regular season in the history of Nate. They also uh, did it in 84-85. That's in a 51-year history. Um, Mike, or, or for either of you guys, I'll start with you, Mike. Close calls this year? Was there a closest one where you escaped with a victory? You know what, as a coach, you kind of, you kind of, uh, having success is good, you know, and you're, you're never going to turn that away, but you also want to make sure that we're having some adversity as well and learning to deal with that. So we had a really tough January. We had a lot of close games in January, a lot of one goal games. We won one game in overtime. And then uh, in the first half, too, we were down four to one against Augustana, come back to win that game. So I really like the fact uh, that, you know, we can take some confidence in that going into the postseason here that we've dealt with their different situations. You know, we've been down, we've been in overtime, we've been in tight games. And I think that our guys should draw confidence on that knowing we're capable of playing in any situation. 4-1 with how much time left? I think it was going into the third, and we were short maybe yeah. a five on three to start the third. So, <laughs> so, uh, so it was a good, uh, a good was test. Was that at home or on the road? It was on the road. Oh, geez. So it was quite the comeback on the road, uh, and it was really exciting. The guys played well, and they earned, I think they earned a couple of days off after that. They were excited about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So two of the 32 games have been in overtime? Yep. Okay, so you've been getting a lot done in in, uh, in regulation time. Tell me a little bit about your opponent this weekend. What's it going to be like playing Red Deer, Kevin? Uh, they come out hard. Um, they're going to obviously bring their best game for us, so we can't take them lightly. Um, I think it's up to us to play our game. But, yeah, they got some good players over there, obviously. They're going to compete. Uh, and, obviously, they've played last weekend, so uh, they're already in battle mode. So it's up to us to come out and play right off the bat and get ready for them. What did you do for the bye week? Mike, I mean, yeah. I, I felt I, I felt like I asked that question 40 times in November when I was covering Eskimo <laughs> stuff because they had two at the end of the year. Yeah, How did you approach the bye week? Those are always a little tricky for a coach. You yeah. know, you're happy to get the rest, but you don't want to get a little bit complacent or stagnant. So we really used it as a little bit of rest and then also preparing and getting the things we wanted to get in. So come this week, we're just kind of reviewing a few things and then we're just getting ready to play. So I, I, I was happy we had the buy. Uh, we earned it. We, we used it to our advantage. And then this week's a lot been a little bit more kind of up-tempo, a lot of compete Monday, Tuesday, getting those juices flowing again. They've been playing, so we got to be ready for that. And then today was a good uh, special teams day. And then tomorrow we'll just kind of review and be ready to go. I want to get to know Kevin uh, a, a little bit here. You're a fourth-year student? Yeah. What are you taking? I'm in business, uh, fourth-year business management. So okay, so last your final year? Yeah. Your final year. Um, I understand you were chosen as, and I'm sorry if I got the wording wrong, you were chosen as a pillar and an ambassador for the school? Uh, yeah. Uh, what does that kind mean? Of just kind of progressed just recently here, but uh, it's just a business thing, so... Uh, they've chosen me to kind of be the face, I guess, of business, uh, as well as for kind of hockey, uh, just kind of putting that together of my progression from playing here uh, at Nate as a hockey player and being a business student as well. So 
Uh, it's just kind of a marketing thing, promotion thing for business students and Nate. All right, he's probably being modest, Mike. <laughs> give, me, give me the real story. Hard to get anything uh, out of him sometimes, yeah. But uh, if you take a, if you walk around Nate campus, you'll see his face everywhere. He's uh, he's on posters. Uh, he's exactly what we want in a Nate hockey player. You know, from a character standpoint, from a work ethic standpoint. So uh, when we when we recruit, uh, we if we can find Kevin Carthys out there, we're going to be all right. So it's just nice. It gets he gets rewarded for that, and the business department has re- recognized the type of kid he is and the dedication it takes to not only play hockey. You know, we're six days a week playing hockey, but also attending to his schoolwork and being an ambassador for the school. And so he does a great job with that. We're extremely proud of him, and we're happy to have him on the team. And uh, he deserves all the credit he gets. Kevin, you're you're an assistant captain. Where did you play before Nate? I played in Bonneville, so yeah, small town. But for the Pontiacs, yeah, I used to cover the AJHL. Awesome, yeah. Uh, who was your coach? Uh, Chad Mercier was my coach up there. So. Were you there when uh, Latestu filled in during the lockout? Uh he came. Yeah, I've met him a couple times. Yeah. So yeah, I've got to see him and skate with him quite a bit actually. So um, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience when he got out there and he shared a few stories with us for sure. So. Yeah. What were some of your other options you might have been considering after Bonneville or was coming, because you're an Edmontonian, right? Yeah. Was coming right. back, you're an automatic? Or um, yeah, I was just kind of, Nate found me, I said, I guess you could say that. So I'm grateful for it at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, I didn't have that many options looking for me. So I found Nate and at the end of the day, I'm pretty happy to be here. So can't complain. Now, I hate to get ahead of myself or ahead of you guys, because I know as a player, you're very focused on this weekend and then hopefully one more for sure. But um, I mean, look, it's a, this is the time of your life where things are, are, are changing. Do you have, is it next year, all right, I'm going to enter the workplace. Next year, I'm going to try to keep my hockey career going. Where are you at with that? Uh, for me, it's kind of still up in the air, I guess. Uh, I'm, not, I'm thinking about it and obviously keeping my options open. So uh, it would be obviously great to go on and play. And I think the success that our team's had, um, it's being noticed. So I think a lot of guys are going to get opportunities, and if that's an option for me then yeah I'd like to pursue that um, but obviously also excited to start the business world as well too so uh, whatever happens I guess I'll, I'll be open arms for it. Mike what are the options for your graduating players I mean we, we you know we talk a lot of golden bears mm-hmm. in this city and you see a, a Derek Ryan who yeah. goes to Europe and scores his first NHL goal I know guys have gone to Japan yep. you know, they're yep. playing in the EC and AHL yeah. where can Nate hockey players possibly continue there? Well we've just been fortunate two guys have signed uh, pro contracts already for next season over in Europe up uh, in the top league in France for, for two guys on our team so we're happy for those guys and like Kevin said with some of the success we had a team and, and, and Kevin's a great example of how we talk to recruits all the time that 20's, 20's not old and uh, kind of in the hockey world you kind of don't hear that as often you know 20 you're kind of you mean, if you're not in the NHL or whatever it is. So Kevin's a perfect example of how with his work ethic and his dedication to the game and to getting better, he's just improved every year. And now actually he's, you know, he's being pursued from some tops leagues in Sweden and, and things like that. So with some success of the program and and guys playing well, it's uh, I'm happy to see that. And there's, there's definitely options for these guys to keep playing, which is great. From the Nate hockey team, Mike Gabinet, head coach and assistant captain Kevin Carthy in studio. They are 32-0 and coming into the playoffs this weekend. Mike, are you, I mean, I went to Nate and I took the two-year radio and TV program. Are you dealing with some guys who are going to play four years like Kevin and other guys you know you're only get going to get for two? Yeah, they have five years of eligibility. Oh, so they, even, so still, yeah, okay. so even, no, Kedgen, we're trying to get him to take some master's courses next year, keep him, <laughs> around, for, keep him around for another year and keep that on the, that development going, coming on. But uh, 
that's the one thing a little bit tricky about Nate, depending on the program you're in. Some guys are in civil engineering or power engineering or business. Uh, they can be there from anywhere from three to four to five oh, okay. years kind of thing. So uh, it makes recruiting a little bit tricky because there's a lot of turnover with guys uh, finishing their programs. And uh, a couple of our guys have really lucrative jobs waiting for them if they're finishing with that power engineering uh, diploma or certificate. So, so some guys are going on in the workplace. Like Kevin said, some guys are choosing to go play play some professional so um, it's a little bit tricky with the recruiting but it's uh, uh we're, we're happy we like to say we recruit them we like to give them opportunity when we recruit them to come play and we like to get them opportunity when they leave whether mm -hmm. that's in the workforce or continuing to play and so that's kind of our goal as a staff all right i wanted to let get to know you guys and your team a little bit more can you stick around yeah you betcha 846 we're talking undefeated nate ooks hockey inside sports on 630 chat <laughs> Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right. Oh, is this Andrew WK? Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, Kevin, you're into this, right? Yeah, for sure. No? Yeah? <laughs> What's the Nate Hockey pump-up song? The Nate Hockey <laughs> Uh I don't know. There's a lot of I know the locker room music, music that goes around, for best, sure. So, yeah. Um, there's a pretty cool song called No Sleep that goes around the room. but uh, who, who performs that? Uh, it's a secret on the team. I can't really put that out there. Oh, it's somebody <laughs> on the team performs yeah, it? Yeah, it's oh, on wow. the team, yeah. <laughs> so it's an original song written by a Nate hockey player. Yes, that's correct, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness, we got a scoop here. Did you know this, Coach? No, I stay out of there. I stay out of there. I can hear the music, and I go the other way. Yeah. Is there a... Mike, you don't have to say your age. What are you, in your 30s? Yeah, 34. Okay. So most of your players are 18 to 23? Yeah, most of them are 20, 21 to 25, actually. Is there a generation gap already, do you notice? Uh, I think, uh, well, probably if you ask them, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask myself, I think I probably still... You fit right in. You're yeah, still exactly. cool. <laughs> yeah, two different answers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, who's your team captain, Kevin? Uh, Scott Fellmeyer. And yeah. you're you're one of the assistants? Yep. Yeah. Do you like wearing a letter? Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of assume the role, I guess, but uh, I think I'm not the loudest necessarily, but I just leading by example. But yeah, I like being a leader and being looked up to. It keeps me accountable. So. Well, I mean, I've heard positive things uh, about your work ethic. Yeah. Where does that, where does that come from? Uh, um, I guess it's just a mentality that I've kind of grown with uh, playing minor hockey kind of thing. So wasn't always a skilled player, but um, just kind of made my way to teams just by sheer work ethic alone so i think that's just grown with me and just kind of been a staple for my game in a sense so yeah, yeah. uh did you did you have any i mean did, did an older brother or a parent or somebody or a friend <laughs> get you into hockey like uh, uh, i mean I know, I know okay first of all somewhat a stupid question because you're canadian so everybody yeah. plays hockey but there are some who well, excel at it more. So who sort of... Well, I'm an only child, and I guess to dig deeper, my parents are from Jamaica. So <laughs> they came over, and they got, I guess, accustomed to the whole Gretzky era and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, they're huge Oiler fans kind of thing. So I think that's kind of what pushed me into hockey from there. So them coming over, seeing that hockey was the big thing, and getting acclimatized to, acclimated to that, and um, that's kind of what got me into hockey at the end of the day, really. So. Well, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So safe to say you're the first hockey player in your family. Uh, going back up the yes yes or cousins I, I, or whatever i'd like to think so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure well that's yeah. amazing i i didn't i i didn't know that, that yeah your your parents are from jamaica so 
Um, so you, you so you got into the game, yep. and so they obviously embraced being hockey parents yeah. along the way. For sure, they love it. Yeah, uh, so number they, one fans, I'd say. <laughs> they come to all the games. Yeah, yeah. Even when I'm not playing, so they're there. So they're a big support factor for me. So I attest a lot of my success to them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike, are most of your kids, or your players, so I shouldn't yeah. call them kids anymore, are, are they from Edmonton, Northern Alberta, or you got guys from all over? You know what, we're trying to recruit a few more local guys for sure, but I'd say probably about 65%, 70% of the team's not from Edmonton, just because the recruiting process is so thorough and so deep to get the guys we want in here. But uh, anytime we get a chance to get a recruited kid from Edmonton, we're always happy because they've got family here and, and nice to kind of be home if they've been away for junior for a couple of years. So yeah. Now, what what are some of the challenges in, in, in recruiting? Is it simply other schools or is it uh you guys who might be considering not going to school or mm -hmm. you know what what is it yeah exactly i think uh, a little bit of both sometimes guys are looking for whether it's a cis option or uh, or trying to go ncaa or so i think just letting guys realize the level of hockey is so good and letting teams know we, we play ncaa opponents we play top cis opponents and we do well in those games and so it's always a bit of a battle and, and finding enough time. Time's always an issue as a coach to find the time to recruit and watch games with our schedule. Mm -hmm. We're still playing right now. A lot of teams are already done. And so to find the time. So we're very fortunate. We have a really good support staff that goes and scouts for us. And, and then when I have time to get out to watch games. So uh, we always set a time as a coaching staff, you know, certain times in the week to dedicate to recruiting, though, for sure. All right. So you guys are 32-0. and The regular season finished 32-0. and So I guess technically, as of right now, you're 0-0 zero zero yep. because you've not played a playoff game. Uh, who did Red Deer beat? Sate. Red Deer beats Sate, yeah. so they're coming in with a couple of victories. Uh, you will host them Friday at 7, right on the Nate campus, right? If fans want to yep. check you out. Um, what there there will be a winner of the ACAC championship. Yeah. Uh, what happens is are there nationals, westerns? Does, can the teams go on here, or is Alberta pretty much it now? Yeah, there used to be nationals, and then what happened was I think the uh, the Western division would always win quite handily, so they ended up canceling nationals and just keep it to Western Canada here with Alberta and Saskatchewan. So, so yeah, just the you know we'll play semifinals here and then finals and. And that's the end of our season. So, so is the ACAC u unique then for this kind of level of hockey to have this many teams in one one region? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. it's pretty unique. Um, I think, you know, there's a little bit more CIS schools out east. Mm -hmm. So I think we're more similar to the Canada West style, you know, where it's just there's we have nine teams, they have eight. So similar things. And then first and second gets a bye and third place, sixth, fourth place, fifth. And then there's, right. a, there's a winner. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you guys came in. I mean, an incredible accomplishment to go through the regular season that way. I know now you want to do it in the playoffs, but uh, incredible stuff. Mike Gabinet, head coach of the Nadukes. Kevin Carthy, one of the assistant captains. Again, Friday at 7, they will host Red Deer at Red Deer, 7 p.m. Saturday. It's the best 2 out of 3 if they need a third game. 6.30 Sunday on uh, Nate campus. So, Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Oh, it's 7 o'clock. Then we'll get that guy singing that song in here, Reed, if everything goes well. Well, yeah, I want to find out who sings the song, how it goes. If he would come into studio, we wouldn't have to reveal his identity. It's radio. He could just anonymously sing it. Kevin, you could make that happen? I, I Probably, yeah. If yeah, Nate yeah. wins the ACAC title, we we'll, get the song. We'll come and do the song. Does it have to be censored for Inside Sports? Uh, yeah, but we can, they can probably figure something out, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah I, I remember uh, when I was working in, uh, in Lloyd doing sports, uh, the other sports guy, his name's Kevin Jesus. He's a global yeah. now. He did this great behind-the-scenes thing of a Bonneville-Lloydminster game, yep. you know, and got 
intermission access to the locker rooms in Bonneville won yeah. and then he filmed their chant after the game so he edits the story and I'm watching I was like well we have to edit that part yeah. and he's like why I'm like well they're swearing right. multiple times like because he was just yelling it was hard to pick yeah, out yeah, but, yeah. but I heard it there so go. anyway yeah. uh, thanks a lot for coming in guys for sure. thanks for having us awesome. Mike Gavinette and Kevin Carthy from the uh, Nate Ooks hockey team all right, here's what's happening. Tomorrow we have a hockey game, an Oilers game on this station. 4.30 for the face-off show. 6 o'clock for the drop of the puck. Oilers taking on the Minnesota Wild. Guys, thanks for coming in. Also, thanks to Karen Lasuk, basketball official going to the Olympics. Paul McCallum, retired CFL kicker. Kelly Rudy, you heard from Hendricks. You heard from Maroon. You heard from McClellan. Thanks to everybody who called and texted as well. Matthew Panashik is the studio producer. Dave Campbell is the producer of the show. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for listening to Inside Sports. Talk to you soon. Learning to talk again.